Welcome in to the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. We are back wrapping up our player series just for this week. We got plenty more coming. Uh, talking Miles, aka Deuce McBride, and his fantastic summer league. And of course, Luca Vildoza, Alex. Yeah, and it's an interesting tale of two guards here, both rookies, technically. Uh, Deuce McBride coming out of college and Vildoza coming over from the ACB as a free agent. And it, a very difficult path to playing time for both these guys. So we're going to talk about how they could both see the court at any point this season. We're going to talk about what a successful season would be for either of them. And going to just kind of talk about the skills that we've seen. We'll talk about Deuce's summer league a little bit and relive some of that because it was certainly a fun one. Uh, talk a little bit about what Vildoza can bring as one of the last men on the bench there. Uh, and, you know, if, if he could potentially crack the rotation via his skill set. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So we <laughs> quite a bit to talk about, though, uh, between the two of them and two pretty similar cases while also being somewhat different. So I'll leave it with that vagueness and uh, send it to the drop. We'll be right back to talk about Deuce and Luca. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up and tucks left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Thank you so much for making Locked On Knicks your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Knicks is free and available on all platforms soon, maybe as soon as next week, to be including YouTube at Locked On Knicks. Hey guys, I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, the editor-in-chief of the Strickland and soon-to-be Knicks beat writer at Clutch Points, and we are continuing our player preview series, and we are starting this episode with perhaps the most beloved new Nick, Juice McBride, Alex. So I'll, 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 I'm going to take over your traditional stat rundown here. In college, he averaged just a tick under 16 points per game, 4.8 assists, 1.9 steals while shooting. 43% from the floor, 41% from three, and 81% from the foul line. In summer league, he was at 15 points per game, three and a half assists per game, three and a half rebounds per game, 1.3 steals while shooting 53% from the field, an insane 50% from three on not bad volume, and 87.5% from the foul line. So Alex, the obvious question with Deuce McBride is, Will we actually get to see him play this year? The Knicks, of course, acquired Kemba Walker this offseason. They brought back Derrick Rose. Emmanuel quickly is coming off an all-rookie team performance. I think he made the all-rookie team, right? It's not stupid. He did. All-rookie second team. He did not get snubbed like RJ. Although, I would argue that he got snubbed off the first team. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah. It was was, uh, Deshaun Tate, I want to say, who who beat him to it. But, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that that was wrong at NBA, the Knicks. The Knicks get screwed on rookie teams. It's a lifelong lesson. But Deuce McBride, Alex, potentially will never get a chance to get screwed if he does not get on the court enough this year. Uh, What is your take on that? Yeah, I sort of – 
So I wrote like sort of a self follow up to ask ourselves uh, with this, which is because first, because first off, if it's if everybody's healthy, I don't think that he finds a way to see the floor. Unfortunately, like we did our minutes breakdown uh, a week or uh, I guess God that might have been two or three weeks ago. Now <laughs> time flies when you're having fun. Um, but you know we did our minutes breakdown as as one of the last parts of our last mailbag we did, and. You know, when we did that, it, it's hard enough to find minutes for like quickly, who had as good of a rookie season as he did and definitely deserves playing time uh, because of all this talent that the Knicks infused into the backcourt. They bring back Burks, they bring back Rose, and then obviously add Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier, who between the two of them, you would hope play at least 30 minutes a game uh, as starters. So it's it's a little dicey trying to find those extra minutes for for guys like McBride and Quickly. Uh, so the the follow up question for us that I thought of is basically should the Knicks and and I mean I know this goes against everything Tibbs believes in and even even Kemba Walker and and Rose and various other guys have been kind of coy about like the idea of this probably because they know that Tibbs isn't into it. Uh, but like, should they design some rest days for Kemba and Rose throughout the season? Not just for those guys' long-term health, but also because I think, I mean, based off what we saw in summer league, quickly and Deuce have so much to offer on the court. I think that I think it would kind of behoove the Knicks to design some playing time for them. If that means, you know, in a game against, I don't know, who's like a real trash bag team this year, like. Uh, uh, the thunder if they decide to sit Shea again like something like that you know when they're facing whatever teams end up like the worst teams in the league again the Rockets probably still are not going to be great you know even though they have Jalen Green and and uh, Sangoon and all that stuff so you know whatever you face a team like that maybe it'll be worth it to sit down Kemba for a game and no matter the result, leave him glued to the bench and say, you know what? He gets the night off, period, end of story. And we're going to play deuce and quickly. So wh- how do you feel about that, Gavin? I-, I think that's where we should probably start uh, with this sort of discussion, because I just think ob- objectively we can say that based off the talent level that the Knicks have in the backcourt now, there's just there's no minutes for deuce otherwise, unless they literally start sitting guys down. Yeah, I have a feeling it will not be a common practice, but I think there will be times this year where it is employed. And, and like particularly um, on back-to-backs that also are, are a portion of longer stretches of games on road trips, specific opponents to your point. I, I think the Knicks will be more selective than some other teams were, were or would be with guys like Kemba Walker and Derrick Rose, unless there is an actual lingering injury there. And, with, and I, I know the qualifier was if healthy, but to me that it, it's it's such a long shot that both those guys are going to be sustainably healthy throughout the year. I, I I just think it's inevitable that McBride will get that amount of time. And and even if it's just for like, like the injury does happen and then the player recovers and it's maintenance. And we've seen that with Kemba Walker for the last two years on the Celtics. He's been dealing with that knee issue. And like, what are the odds that it's magically solved this year for the Knicks? Like I'll, I'll, I'll pray to the Knicks gods all day and night that it is, but odds are sort of against that. So whether like I think the line between injury and maintenance is very very thin for guys who are who are so perennially perennially injured like Kemba Walker and I mean Derrick Rose was pretty healthy last year but in in the past that it it just feels like an inevitability that McBride will get those opportunities and get those shots 
And I think the, the question I have is like, how does he, how does he improve without a consistent role? And it, it'll be interesting to see if the Knicks get more practice time this year. And I think they probably will with COVID restrictions being eased a little bit. Obviously they're going to get a far more normal training camp. McBride presumably got a full off season with coaches, which um, a lot of the young Knicks didn't get to the best of my knowledge last season. So maybe he's a little bit further along, but I, I just think it's going to be a challenge for him playing like maybe once every four games to develop any kind of consistency, especially on offense. I think defensively we'll see him translate just fine. And, and to me, it's easier to come off the bench cold and, and play defense, even though uh, Frank Nilakina had his issues with that in the playoffs, um, than it is to come in and light it up scoring the basketball. I really, I really think, especially on a, a new level and, and the hardest level there is of the game, that, that is going to be a real, real challenge for him to develop a rhythm. But if he, if he puts the work in, if he stays sharp, we saw what kind of shooter he could be this summer. Yeah. And one nice thing with McBride that we, that I have a note for Vildoza that we'll get to in a minute when we're talking about him, uh, that doesn't really apply to Vildoza, or at least it's a little more iffy about whether he'd be amicable to it, is that the Knicks can send Deuce to the G League. And I don't think that Deuce would have any problems with that. Um, and it would give him a good opportunity to maybe develop that offensive rhythm when he's not getting playing time with the big team. So perhaps you do that, you know, try to only do it on home stands or something. So you can still have him as like the breaking case of emergency option to call right back to the team and not have to send him on like a cross country flight. You know, if they're like, cause if they leave behind and then go to, uh, you know, on like their West coast trip or something. And then all of a sudden, you know, Kemba Walker like tweaks his hammy or something and it's going to be out for two weeks. And then you have to fly deuce in overnight and have him play on one hour sleep, you know, uh, in Golden State or something, I mean, that's not that's not fantastic. Um, so, you know, maybe you plan it around, okay, if we're on homestands, we'll send, you know, Deuce and Grimes, who we'll talk about in another player preview, guys like that to the G League and let them sort of get their reps there while we're at home. And that way, if we do need them, we can call them up and they, they might even be hot already. You know, they might be already warmed up and and having, you know, taken lots of reps in the G League and, and ready to just kind of hop in and uh, provide some good minutes at the NBA level if, you know, injuries set in or, or there's a maintenance day or whatever the case may be for, for one of uh, Rose or Kemba. But Gavin, uh, I we can continue this discussion. There's a, a few more interesting questions surrounding Deuce, I think. But first, uh, if someone here needs to, oh man, I'm struggling on a good transition. Whatever, tell people about Indeed. I've got a need for Indeed right now. Oh, that, that was that was good. Uh, you're selling yourself short. Um, general managers, they, they typically ask questions to find the right players. Like, do they have ice in their veins? When you're hiring, you can use Indeed assessments to make sure you find candidates with the skills you need. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple just to track, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all of your hiring in one place, even interviewing. Don't just hope your perfect candidate will find you. Indeed's hiring tools help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed's instant match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. With Indeed assessments, choose from 135 skills tests to help make sure you're finding applications from people with the skills you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash lock. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash lock. Indeed.com slash lock. 
Offer valid through September 30th. Terms and conditions apply. And today's show is also brought to you by the best tasting protein bar on the planet. And I bet you I don't even have to say what it is because your mind immediately went to Built Bar. Because you know, I've been telling you guys for like two years now. I don't know. It's been a long time. It's been a long, long, fun journey with Built Bars thus far. And they really are the best tasting protein bar out there. They come with a bunch of amazing flavors that you can buy all the time. And you know my two favorites are coconut and cookies and cream. Also, like I said the other day, I got to taste test some of the cookie dough bars that are going to be, I think, coming out as a limited release soon. Strongly recommend those. They have real little chunks of cookie dough in them. Fantastic. Definitely get yourself some cookie dough built bars if you get a chance, because that's one of my favorites of the special edition flavors. And the best part is, is that even though they taste and look like a candy bar, they don't come with all the guilt of eating a candy bar, like, say, a Snickers bar or something like that. Because every built bar has 17 to 18 grams of protein, and the calories range from just 130 to 180 calories per bar, only four to five grams of sugar, and only four to five grams of net carbs. That's really a fantastic ratio of pure protein to restore you after a workout combined with not a lot of calories to bloat you up and, and undo all the work that you did to you know work out and, and improve your body. So if you want to get some built bars for yourself, Go to built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, Gavin. So to continue our Deuce McBride talk before we get into Vildoza in a couple minutes, the the one question that uh, I was curious about, and I mean this, <laughs> I hate to say this because it, it really points out the flaws of the guy that the Knicks just let go. Um, who who we both love very much. We literally recorded an, a, a farewell episode to him. But do you think that Deuce kind of plays like Frank with a killer instinct? And on top of that, do you think that that's also why the Knicks were so comfortable just saying, okay, I think we're done with Frank at this point, even with a guy like Luca Vildoza further down the roster that you know they haven't seen play yet at the NBA level and that you know, quite frankly, is making more money than what Frank would have been making on a veteran's minimum contract. And, you know, also is older and whatever else, like, but provides a little more of an offensively minded skill set than Frank did. You know, I think that was the only spot that you reasonably could have said, hey, maybe this is how the Knicks could bring Frank back is if they wave Luca Vildoza or I guess trade Kevin Knox. But I just don't see like it feel like that's going to happen at this point. Um, but yeah, anyway, to get back to the the original point. Do you, do you think that Deuce is basically like kind of a, a shorter Frank with a killer instinct on the offensive end, which is what made him appeal more to the Knicks and to Tibbs? Yeah, there, there's a little bit of that there. I think in terms of Frank, like getting to the rim and finishing, it was it was hard to distinguish how much of that was was lack of skill versus um, lack of confidence. I, I do think a lot of it was was lack of confidence, but. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I do think that's a fair comparison to some end. I, I will say Frank Frank had a killer instinct defensively. Like the dude was like a murderer out there, dead in your face. He'd like dive after loose balls. Like he, he certainly had a one end. I would argue Deuce, Deuce McBride is even on a higher level um, than Frank because he, he seems like a 10 out of 10 
in that capacity. Like we all saw him like harass Kate Cunningham in, into shambles um, for at least one play in that West Virginia Oklahoma State game last year. Like he, he is the real deal in terms of defensive mentality. But I agree with you offensively. He has just like that swagger that Frank is lacking. And um, we, we, we noted it, um, or PD Webb noted it rather when he came on, that Frank was sort of stuck with like academy brain, right? Like I always need to make like the right play, the right next pass, like just, just consistently do the unselfish thing. I think McBride has more of an innate sense of, all right, this is my time to take over. Like if I'm hot from three, I'm going to shoot the slightly contested three versus passing it to Obi for a wide open three because I'm, I'm feeling really good about making it. And, and by and large in summer league, he, he hit those shots. By and large in college, he hit those shots. And he, and he has that swagger to isolate and get into his mid-range game and, and, and really, really be effective there. And, and that was an area where, who knows, Frank might have been good. But, but to your point, like he just never had that confidence. And I think ultimately to excel in the NBA, like you need a little bit of that, like, yeah, I'm, I'm even here. I'm better than everyone. And I think Deuce very, very much has that defensively. I think he has it to some extent on offense and, and Frank completely, completely lacked in offense. So I, I think it's, I think it's a good comparison. Yeah. I, I, I kind of feel the same way, you know, if it wasn't obvious enough through the, the fact that I even asked the question uh, of, of if that's what he is. I mean, just in summer league, his one thing that's going to be nice about Deuce and we talked about, it, it's going to be hard for him to get minutes, but even if he only gets three or four minutes in the game, I have zero doubt that he's going to make the best of it every single time because he's just like ridiculously intense with the way that he plays the game. And, you know, I, I think that he, it, he just has no, like no dial. You know what I mean? Like there's no uh, setting him to one, five or 10. There's only 11. Like he just goes out there and he is just going to harass people from the, you know, full court press, you know, uh, you know, getting after them from the second they step on the floor all the way to the time that they get to the other end. And then, you know, on offense, he just, we saw it during summer league for better or worse. He's got a, he's got a trigger, you know, he, he has no issues pulling on any shot, whether it's a three pointer, a mid range shot, you know, those seem to be his bread and butter, but we even saw some some pretty ballsy dunks, you know, where he was getting to the rim and, and really getting up there and dunking over people and stuff like that. So he's the only thing I know for certain with Deuce is that he's going to be a really fun player to watch this year, um, regardless of what ends up happening. The other thing that I was curious of with him, we can talk about this briefly. Actually, let's just, let's just mold these together. So the, the one thing that I, that I was thinking about, because we've talked about what the ideal Tibbs point guard is a lot on this the show and you know i think that kemba funny enough is going to be like the perfect tips point card because he's you know tips doesn't care if you're undersized or whatever at that spot he doesn't care if you're a fantastic defender as we've had pointed out to us by guys like pd webb you know it, honestly that was that was the dude that like when pd said that and then we started thinking about it for more than like three seconds we we're like oh my god he's totally right tips doesn't like defensive minded point guards really he likes he likes point guards that can get their own shot and that have you know, zero problem shooting from anywhere on the floor and, and doing so with reckless abandon. You know, he we're talking about the guy that gave major minutes to DJ Augustine, Nate Robinson, Aaron Brooks, like <laughs> all these various guys that are not superstars by any means, but, uh, you know, Marco Bellinelli even at the shooting guard spot. I mean, Tibbs has given a lot of minutes to a lot of gunner type of players. Uh, so, you know, is Deuce though, and you know what? Yeah, I will just ask this as a separate question before we get to the last part is just going to be what what constitutes a good season for him. But 
is is Deuce the mold breaker for Tibbs potentially if he works out? Like, is he the aggressive point guard that also is a dog on defense and will sort of like break Tibbs's uh, obsession, I guess, with <laughs> point guards that aren't actually that good on defense and mostly are focused on offense? I think, I don't know. I, I think my, my only, my, my argument against, like not against PD's theory, but that I, that like this is a universal thing for Tibbs is I just kind of think it's, it's circumstantial to some extent, right? It's who he's had on his roster just because it's like how many point guards in the league can you say are like, like bulldog mentality, hyper aggressive offensive players, but also great defenders. I mean, just in general, how many point guards can you say are great defenders? It's the hardest single position to guard in the NBA. Inherently, a lot of those guys don't have a ton of size. And it's it's just it's like impossible to stop like the Steph Curry's and the Chris Paul's of the world. So most people are going to look pretty bad. So I guess I guess my only pushback would be is that it's a very finite descriptor. And we know for a fact, like from the draft, that Tibbs like specifically. I mean, I, I know this isn't what you're saying, but it, it's interesting. A Tibbs specifically wanted Deuce, and like I guess so. Maybe it, it is that he saw that in him offensively, plus the defense, and he's like, ah, my golden child, come home. But I, I think the my bigger takeaway is not not even that Tibbs like doesn't prioritize defense at the point guard position. It, it's it's just it's fascinating that he seems to maybe prioritize offense over it a little bit. But but yeah, I think I think that's all a fair point. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. I I do agree with you that it's just kind of by virtue of who he's had on his teams um, th- that you know he's played those players. You know, it's I guess if all you have is <laughs> Nate Robinson and Aaron Brooks and whatever behind your injured Derrick Rose on the bulls, then yeah, I guess that's who you got to play and you're going to play them big minutes. And um, you know, even if you have a, a different point guard behind them that uh, maybe could have been better. Like I look at like a Chris Dunn or something like that too, but Chris Dunn, I just think has been kind of a disappointment in his career. So you could also say that too, like Chris Dunn had a, a, defensive reputation coming out of college but now he's played for like what three different teams yeah and hasn't really done anything so kind of begs the question like well how good actually is he (laughs) and clearly not that good uh if he's if he's now on his fourth team in you know six years or whatever maybe even less than that yeah well he's an awesome defender he just sucks on offense exactly so you know it's it it, he looked like he was going to be better on offense coming out of college but then wasn't you know so it's just it is what it is there um, I think we should just move to the, the final part though, real quick. Uh, oh, also really good point too, about the fact that it is really hard for a point guard defender to look like a good defender because it's clearly the most talented position in the NBA as far as scores are concerned. Like even the, even the mediocre point guards that, you know, are considered scoring guards, like let's say like a Dennis Schroeder or something like that, like they could still go for like 35 points <laughs> on any given night. And that's that's like a middle of the road player that basically signed for like like the smallest amount he possibly could this offseason because every team was like, nah, we don't need another guy that can go for 35 at the point guard spot because we already feel pretty happy with the guy that we have that can go for 35 on any given night. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting discussion about what makes good point guard defense and that sort of thing. And if it's just sort of about doing the best you can to curtail these guys and, and realizing that no matter what, you know, the best point guard talents in the league are going to get theirs pretty much no matter what. And I think the Knicks among other teams have kind of been one of those teams that, that just kind of lets other, other 
team's best players do what they want and just makes it a point to shut down everything else. And I find that's generally kind of a, a good strategy unless that best player on the other team can find a way to go for like 65 points or something. Um, anyway, final question before we end this segment and then move to Vildoza in the, the final bit. Uh, what would constitute a good season for Deuce McBride to you? It could be as brief or as long as you want. Yeah. What, what do you think is a good season for Deuce? I, I think it's just that he, that he comes in and plays his game, right? Like he's, he's extremely aggressive defensively. I'm like, sure. Like I think there, there are guards in the league capable of probably leveraging that aggression like the Chris Pauls of the world as I was referencing and saying you you don't you don't really want to do that to me young guy I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go right by you if you're, if you're playing right up in my face but I, I think I think he'll have his pitfalls in those matchups but his successful season will include him also having moments and flashes in those matchups and, and getting steals and getting blocks and then coming in offensively and I mean to I mean to go full circle on, on the Frank question playing with that swagger like bombing away from three getting to the basket and dunking, showing that he's made strides in his off-the-dribble game, um, attacking and getting to his preferred spots in the mid-range. And what it, to me, Alex, like it, it's almost like I think it's an interesting question to like what would constitute a successful season. There's no question in my mind that like when we talk at the end of the year, I'm gonna say that he had as successful of a season as he could have with the playing time that he got. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think I, I see very little chance that he's gonna end up, you know, not making the most of the opportunities given to him. And that kind of just speaks to this like culture that the Knicks have instilled as much as that's sort of a, a, a semi mocked buzzword around the NBA at this point, especially by Knicks fans, because that was what we had to hear about with like, Oh, the Nets culture, you know, for years and made all of us roll our eyes. But now, I mean, it, there is, there's a culture instilled with the Knicks right now. That's just, you work hard, you go out there, you bust your ass, and that's the only type of player that we're going to bring into this team is players that are interested in playing that way. And Deuce is definitely one of those guys. I have zero doubts in my mind that if he gets only you know, 20 minutes of playing time the whole year at the NBA level, he's going to make the absolute most of those 20 minutes. But as you said earlier, you know, I think there is a better chance than not that there will be some injuries or you know, days off for guys or whatever that are going to give him some opportunities. And I, I feel pretty, he might have one or two stinkers in there. You know, we even saw it in summer league where he's, he has, you know, the, the tendency to keep shooting, even if, even if it's not going in because he's just trying to, trying to get going. And, you know, there'll probably be a game or two like that where he gets, you know, 10 minutes and goes one for eight or something in 10 minutes, you know, because he just goes out there and just is like green light, green light, green light. You know, I'm just going to keep shooting until I make them. Um, and that'll be fine, you know, cause he's a rookie and that's bound to happen a few times. Certainly happened to Obi, uh, happened to quickly a number of times happened to, you know, RJ to Knox, you know, we see this every year with new Knicks rookies. It'll, it'll happen. You'll have a few games like that where you just are wildly inconsistent, but it's all part of learning. And I think that he will learn and make some strides this year, regardless of the amount of playing time that he gets. So I, I think there's pretty much no way that his season is not considered a success to me by the end of the year. Uh, I should also remind everybody here that this episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. We are back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on for another football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. 
Don't forget to use our promo code Locked On to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, guys, we are back on Locked On Knicks, and we wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen every day. Now for your second listen today, Locked On Fantasy Basketball, Josh Lloyd has been doing amazing an amazing season preview series. If you missed it, I mentioned this a couple weeks back. I was lucky enough to get to hop on with Josh and have a fantastic conversation about the fantasy prospects of all the Knicks. So in case you missed that, go go through a Locked On Fantasy Basketball subscription. Your, your team, uh, hopefully on the Sleeper app, uh, will, will not regret it. You, you will be better off for it. That guy has been helping me. For a couple of years now with my drafts, and I've been doing pretty, pretty well. Anyways, a guy who maybe will not be doing pretty, pretty well on the New York Knicks is Luca Vildoza. Um, he is someone who, at this point, is very questionable if he ends up on the Knicks' final roster after looking like um, a, a bit of a shrewd signing when the Knicks got him last season uh, before typical uh, free agency period. And that was because he's playing in Europe. His ACB stats for Basconia, I think, um, a 10.9 points per game, 3.7 assists, 1.3 steals. He shot 42% from the field, uh, just under 36% from three, and 83% from the foul line. I mean, Alex, you, you noted the same thing that I did in our notes. Um, like, sometimes, like, I just don't even really think of him in regards to the Knicks. And last year when they signed him, I was like, you know, there's a there's a world where Luca Vildoza is your starting point guard next year, and he's he's your Alfred Payton replacement, and he's, he's hitting threes, and he's running the show, and he's, and he's being creative offensively. And, and giving the Knicks a little bit of juice in that spot, at least relative to Peyton. But then the Knicks went out. They got Kemba Walker. Emmanuel quickly's back. Miles McBride got drafted. And all of a sudden, you're sort of like, is there what's what's really going to happen with Luca Vildoza? Yeah, it's so funny because I can remember back during our uh, live chats that we would have with people on the social listening app that's no longer sponsoring us, so I'm not going to name drop them anymore, uh, that we would do the episodes on. You know, there were, we were getting questions like almost every week about like, oh, what's the deal with Vildoza? Like, do you think that he could potentially step in and like, you know, take up big minutes next year? You know, what if they have, what if they bring back Rose and then Rose can start and Vildoza can spell him off the bench? And then maybe you have a little bit of, you know, quickly Vildoza, uh, you know, action going on. And then all of a sudden now, yeah, you sign, <laughs> you sign Kemba Walker, <laughs> surprise, surprise. And now, <laughs> This this like really sneaky signing of Luca Vildoza seems kind of pointless at this point because you also bring back Derrick Rose and you sign Evan Fournier who's going to soak up huge minutes at the two, and you still have quickly on the roster who, you know, I I think you could probably argue plays a similar role to what Vildoza does, which is you know he can he can score off the dribble, he can shoot the three, um, you know you, you can he can pass the ball credibly, he can run a pick and roll, you know do do offensive actions and stuff like that. And, but probably better and definitely more worth investing your time into because quickly he's younger. You know, I think that he's shown more at this point in his career, probably than Vildoza has in Europe. Um, that's not to diminish what Vildoza has done in Europe. I mean, he, he managed to crack a starting rotation on, at a relatively young age on a, you know, an ACB team, which is not a small feat that that's a league that is very veteran heavy. Uh, in general, you know, European clubs are very veteran heavy to begin with. There's not a lot of uh, a lot of, you know, tanking type rosters or like youth 
building times, you know, because they do things differently over there. You know, they don't, they don't have a draft, you know, so there's not like the, the incentive to be bad and to just develop for a while. Like every team there tries to win pretty much all the time. Um, and that's just how it works in European sports, like by and large, because you can sign kids w- when they're as young as like 15 years old into your youth program and just develop them that way. So, which I think Vildoza was for Pasconia, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was signed at a relatively young age and then came up around age 21 or so to the the big leagues and started playing for them. So, you know, it's a, it's, you know, he, he managed to crack a rotation over there where everybody's trying to win all the time. And that shows that he's a winning player and they, you know, his team had some success and he was, uh, from what I remember, I mean, I did a little more research back like earlier in the summer when the Knicks first signed him, but, um, you know, he, he drew pretty rave reviews from teammates, coaches, whatever. And everybody spoke to his maturity for his age and all that stuff. But the reality is, is that he's not, he's not your typical rookie, despite on paper being a rookie for the Knicks this year. Um, he's not, he's not like, you know, like McBride or Grimes or any of those guys where you could reasonably say, okay, well, you know, we have this rookie on the team that's not going to be getting a lot of play time. And like I said with McBride, you know, he can go to the G League and that's no problem. And he won't put up a fuss about it and and he'll just go there and play. And that's not to say that I think Vildoza is going to put up a fuss if the Knicks would ask him to go to the G League, but it's like borderline disrespectful to a player of his caliber to be like, hey, can you uh, go play for our developmental affiliate because you're not good enough to play on our team when realistically if you threw Vildoza back into the free agent pool right now he would probably get signed up by a team like you know the Rockets or the Thunder or something like that like one of the lower the Cavs maybe you know although they're a little they're a little too juiced at guard he might run into the same issues there but you know it just there's there are teams around the league that need guard depth that are in more of a rebuilding stage that would probably give him an opportunity to play 20 minutes a game or something, uh, which it looked like previously the Knicks might, but now it just, it doesn't seem entirely likely. So I feel like the Knicks are in kind of an awkward position with Vildoza at this point. And, you know, I think he has a lot of skills that can and will translate to the NBA, but it's just a matter of, you know, is he good enough to crack the rotation in what quite frankly is a, a really deep Knicks team. And then like, if you do find minutes for an end of bench type guy like that, wouldn't you rather give it to Deuce McBride anyway? Because you, if you have those spare minutes laying around, you might want to spend it more on a developmental capacity and, and throw McBride out there and start getting him ready to be an NBA contributor. And, you know, well, I mean, he could be a contributor as soon as this year, but potentially develop into something more, you know, in the future, or do you want to throw Phil Doze out there? He knows going to give you solid minutes, but, that might be basically it. Um, it creates a it creates a really weird and kind of awkward situation, I think, for the Knicks this year, Gavin. Like, I just I I can't find a way that they can they can find playing time for him. And honestly, I mean, this sounds <laughs> I always I, I've always kind of criticized this sort of thinking, you know. Among like, I feel like this is where guys like Sam Hinkie and Daryl Morey and guys of their ilk and even Presty sometimes um, fail with with player relations and development. But, you know, I, I basically, I look at Vildoza almost just like an asset at this point, you know, like it's like the only reason I could see to give him playing time is if you're trying to, you know, just make him a more attractive piece to add into a trade at some point down the line, you know, you throw him a bone and give him 10, 15 minutes here and there, and maybe during a blowout or something just to 
have some tape to present to some team and be like, oh, well, here's the fourth player we're going to throw in this trade for so-and-so. And it's Luca Vildoza. Look, he has some NBA film. He can come in and be pretty good for your team. And it's completely zero risk because he makes like $3 million. So he'll help us get there with salary for this player that we're trying to trade for from you. But also, you know, if you try him out and you don't like him, you can cut bait at literally any time with no repercussions uh, during the off season based off the way that we structured his contract. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, unfortunately, I, I feel like that's kind of the ceiling for Vildoza at this point on this team. And maybe I'll get proven wrong. Maybe there'll be a rash of injuries or something and he'll get thrust in the spotlight and make a really good combo with like quickly or something like we had sort of imagined back in the beginning of the off season. But I just, I have a really hard time seeing it coming to pass at this point. And, and I think it's more likely that he's, He's probably just going to be a bench warmer, and then maybe even as soon as next offseason, they just decide to decide to just let him go and and maybe find playing time somewhere else, or maybe even just return to Europe where he already had found some success. Wait, Alex, did I miss it? Is his salary guaranteed for this year? Like, is, isn't there a chance that he doesn't even make the roster? I guess there is a chance they could still cut him. I just feel like if they're going to, they would have at this point. I like mean, maybe, but why not let him? And I think it, it's between him and Dwayne Bacon probably for that last roster spot. And like, I don't know. There's a chance that I. Personally, I think I'd rather have, unless Phil Doza shows, and, and look, like Summer League was not an ideal setting for his game, so I don't want to draw too much from that. Uh, from what I watched, he was also pretty poor on the Argentinian national team this summer. Again, a small sample size, not really the style of ball he'll necessarily be playing in the NBA. So I don't want to assume too much from all that. From what I've seen from him so far, like I think there's a pretty good argument that Bacon is is theoretically a more useful player, like, like a big, strong aggressive wing that frankly outside of like if rj barrett gets injured don't the knicks have i i mean like i know i'm, I'm specifically citing a, a small forward but I, i'm just saying like isn't there more of a lack of depth in that spot like there isn't really anyone other than rj who you want guarding like alpha wings in the league like maybe in a pinch you can you can use julius randall there or or, or something along or to your point obi maybe but he's not really strong enough like i i would probably rather have Dwayne bacon than luca vildoza honestly i mean that kind of forgets about Quentin Grimes existing, though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess. But, like, is he, like, as a rookie, like, I is he, like, I, I just, I don't know if he has, like, that bulk yet. And then maybe he's, like, look, he was he was very solid defensively in Summer League. But I think for now he's going to maybe more so guard twos and, and some threes. But, like, like the bigger, stronger, like, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, wings, like, I think, not that those guys grow on trees, but you're going to get matchups with them. To, to me, Bacon would, would more so be the insurance policy there than Grimes. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I guess I just don't really see it with Bacon. Like, I literally, I think of him as just a camp body, basically. Like, I, I really don't think he's going to make team. But you do bring up a good point. I mean, there is a there is a chance that two weeks from now we'll be talking about Fildoza just straight up not being on the team anymore. Because, um, yeah, his I think that the way that they structure his contract is literally they can cut him anytime up until the end of training camp with like little to no repercussions financially on the cap for this year. Um, so yeah, I mean that there is, you bring up a good point. There is a chance he's not even on the roster this year. I just think, I think at this point, if they were going to get rid of him, they would have already because it would cutting that, that salary off the books at a certain point in free agency would have been really, really useful for them as far as trying to make, everything work the way that it eventually did. I think Jeremy Cohen uh, outlined that like a number of times about how they could have cut him, re-signed him for a minimum, um, 
or whatever, you know, they, they could have done like a, a number of different things to, you know, unguarantee his contract way earlier than now. And, you know, had him, uh, uh, just let him go or re-sign him on a minimum or whatever and created, you know, a couple million more to fit all those advanced moves that they did for Kemba Walker, Derek Rose, Taj Gibson, Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks, you know, et cetera, during the offseason. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I just feel like at this point he's probably here for this season uh, or else they would have already cut bait. But maybe, to your point, maybe Bacon shows out in training camp and maybe Vildoza continues to underwhelm a little bit and they ultimately say, okay, well, you know what? I guess we could have done this earlier, but better late than never. And they just cut bait and, and say, screw it and go with bacon instead. Maybe that's the case. And I, I do kind of see your point for wanting more of an insurance policy behind RJ, but I also feel like at a certain point, you know, the, the Knicks could probably just hit the trade market and find someone. If that happened too, like find someone in a pinch uh, or, find someone off the off the free agency scrap heap or uh, find someone in the buyout market if if said hypothetical RJ injury that hopefully never happens would happen sometime around the trade deadline so I guess I guess we'll just see though um, it'll be I guess that is kind of one of the interesting camp battles to watch though is bacon versus Vildoza and that's not one that I'd really thought about much so I guess we'll see as time goes on but unless you had anything else to add on Vildoza, if it's not obvious enough, we don't have a ton to say about him because he's just like, he doesn't figure to be a big part of the Knicks plans no matter what this year. If, if he ultimately gets cut for Dwayne Bacon, I mean, that would just underscore the point that there just was not much of an opportunity for him here once the Knicks signed all the guard depth that they did. Um, do you have any other final thoughts on him before we wrap up the show? Um, not really. Outside of uh, what I what I noted earlier, and, and that's there's, there's a world where he's he's quite a bit better than we think he is but just just from a role perspective like I think he has to be a significantly better player than Dwayne Bacon to make the team to me that's that's more so what the Knicks need rather than a fifth option at the point guard spot yeah yeah and and to be clear I don't think he's a bad player either I mean we spent a good portion of the early summer talking him up quite a bit it's just circumstances have kind of made things difficult for Luca Vildoza at this point. And probably if you could, if you could have shown him the future and shown him what was going to happen with the Knicks this year, I, I kind of doubt that he would have signed the contract that he signed at the end of last season with the Knicks, uh, assuming what his role was going to be at that point versus what it's turned into in actuality now. But anyway, uh, I think that's a good point to wrap up on for today. Again, thanks for making us your first listen today. Uh, and if you want to listen to something great after this, be sure to check out check out Locked On NBA as your second listen of the day, and uh, you know see what what Locked On NBA is saying about the league at large. Certainly a busy week that was with all of the vaccine or anti-vaccine stuff around the league and everything else coming out from the various media days and training camps. So definitely check that out. Uh, but till next time, we'll be back next week. Peace out, everybody. We'll talk to you all soon.